You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. If you have your Bibles or your smart devices, you can turn to Mark 16. As usual, there's going to be a lot other text today, but we're looking at the resurrection here as it happened in Mark and his account. So Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 1, I'll read it. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, uh, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Who was crucified? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So the single most significant event in human history took place on the Sunday after Passover in about 30 AD. And it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This is Resurrection Sunday. Before he was even dead, the overwhelming majority of his followers had already deserted him. Do you remember what Peter did? Right? He was one of Jesus' key disciples. But when Jesus was facing death, he deserted him, right? He denied ever having anything to do with him. He just disappeared. He went back to the boat to fish. He thought it was a done deal. It was over. When Jesus died, it appeared that the whole cause of what had been going on for three and a half years died with him, right? But it didn't happen that way. The followers of Jesus did not fade into oblivion. They all came back bolder and stronger and more courageous than they had ever had been before. So what happened, right? What made the difference? We know it was Christ's resurrection. That's what made the difference. It totally changed everything. When they saw Jesus die, they were plunged into disparagement. In agony, Jesus was dead. They put him in a tomb. Everyone assumed that was that, right? And then he comes back to life. (laughs) 
the hope of Israel, the resurrection, took place. On top of that, if you look at Matthew 27, the tombs of many others were opened as well. They marched into the city. You imagine that? (laughs) Right? We're familiar with zombie movies in the apocalypse, right? Like The Walking Dead and all that. Here, all these Old Testament saints come out of the tombs and go into the city. We don't address that much, but it's there. When he comes back, seeing firsthand his resurrection from the dead had to change his followers' perspective on life and everything related to it and what Jesus had done and what they had done with him for the last three and a half years. This resurrection affirms for us that Jesus who is who he said he was. He claimed to be God and he proved it. He claimed that he had always existed and that he would always exist and that this world and everything in it belonged to him and would someday be ruled by him. Jesus told the Jews that he existed before Abraham even. In John 8:58, Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am." A literal translation of that would read, "Before Abraham was brought into being, I existed." So it's not that Christ came into existence before Abraham did. We know he had already existed before Abraham. He's always existed. Christ existed before creation. He was eternal. In that sense, the Jews plainly, uh, just plainly understood his statement. Because they wanted to stone him for blasphemy over and over again. In John 8... Uh, right after 58, when he says that statement about Abraham, it says they picked up stones to throw it at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And Jesus said that one day he would rule. Matthew 25, 31 says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Repeatedly, Jesus has I am statements. There's over 20 claiming his divinity and his deity of who he was. He claimed to be God, and it drove his enemies crazy. (laughs) The Pharisees wanted to kill him, right? They did. Now, John 5, 18, it says that this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. He claimed to be God. He said, the Father and I are one. And he proved his claim by conquering death. That means that we have to take seriously everything that he said, right? He said that he's the only way to eternal life. He's the only way to heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this means we have to abandon the notion that all religions lead to the same God because they don't. We have to abandon the phrase, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Everyone thinks they're a good person. Doesn't mean they're good. So what? (laughs) Had that conversation the other day. So we could go right out here to SIU and ask all the students there, are you a good person? Everyone's going to say yes. Everyone thinks they're a good person. All roads lead to where they want to go, right? Why? Because 
That's what they want. But Jesus here, he says, it's through him. In him alone. The only way through to the Father is through Jesus. So out with the Oprah theology. All right. In with proper biblical theology. John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And by the door, he's saying he is the only way to eternal life. Apart from trusting in Christ, you spend eternity in death. Jesus to Mary uh, in John 11, he makes a statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So in verse 26 there, Jesus asked, do you believe this? What is this type? You know, do you believe this? Just imagine these conversations sometimes. He says these things. Do you believe me? It's the statement about Jesus himself that he gives in verse 25. He tells Mary he is the resurrection and life. But that's not all he asked her to believe because he's saying, I guarantee eternal life to everyone who believes in me. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is in essence to believe that he is the guarantee, right? He's the seal of eternal life. To everyone who trusts in him through faith alone and grace alone. So because of the resurrection, these words carry weight they never would have carried otherwise. If he had stayed in the tomb, the question of whether or not he is the only way to heaven would be up for debate, right? But the resurrection answers the question and it ends the argument once and for all. Is Jesus really the son of God? He had power over death, right? I guess that means he's everything he claimed to be. So to deny the resurrection of Jesus is to destroy the entire basis of the Christian faith. It's what we are, right? What we have. This is the core of it. The Christian faith is not based on the, just on the teachings of Jesus or the life of Jesus, or the signs and wonders of Jesus, or even just the death of Jesus. The Christian faith is based on all of these culminating into the resurrection of him from the dead. If there's no resurrection, everything else is of no good to us, right? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul addresses this. In 12 through 17, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there, uh, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For the, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile 
and you are still in your sins. So does a person need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus to be a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If you do not believe he rose from the dead, you're saying he's a liar. We're misrepresenting God, he says. Faith is futile and you're still in your sins, right? Paul, again, writing to the Romans in chapter 10, 6 through 10, he says, but the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and and with the mouth one confesses he is saved, right? Eternal life is, 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 is predicated on the belief in the resurrection and that you must believe. You believe, that's it, that God has raised him from the dead. The resurrection proved that Christ was all that he said he was, right? I've already said that. But he was more than just a good teacher and a great prophet or a good example of good morals. He is Lord. What you believe about Jesus determines everything about you and your life. And it's all that said right there. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Faith and grace. That's it. Is there rules and regulations and laws and burdens and all these things? Nope. (laughs) A new commandment I give you, love as I have loved you. That's it. There's no law, no more. (laughs) He fulfilled it. Ephesians 2 said it came to, it's abolished. It was obsolete, passing away. Jesus fulfilled the law. He gives new life. And all you have to do is believe. So, there's much debate and arguments then, right, about this resurrection thing. I'm going to touch upon that for a second. Because what happened to the body of Jesus? They, people will say, it, they just made this up. They had to make it up, right? On Wednesday, he was dead. He had been beaten, crucified, speared, wrapped in a hundred pounds of spices laid in a tomb and it was sealed and it was guarded by Roman soldiers, right? Sunday, the grave clothes were undisturbed and he was gone, right? John twenty nineteen it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus come and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Doors are locked. Here he is. <laughs> he just appears. Right? So cool. All right. Not only were they, they fearful, but these men just did not even understand or believe that this resurrection had took place yet. You remember a few weeks ago in the text we get wrong, Thomas gets singled out, right, as the doubter we talked about. But they all doubted. They all were doubting of this. Now, Jesus told them over and over and over again it was going to happen. They never got it. They must have thought he was speaking figuratively. Now, in Mark 16, 
9 and 11 on that. It said he first appears that that first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and been, had been seen by her, they would not believe it. It's remarkable, isn't it? Initially, they doubted, but something happened that changed these fearful men. So there's no stolen body or this Passover plot that people claim. Jesus was resurrected. The evidence is in Scripture. These men had previously fled in all directions and split, uh, just, just split up, right? They did not offer any defense to, on his behalf whatsoever. These men, they were afraid to be present at Jesus' burial. And now we're going, uh, now they're going into every city where the cru- or, or the very city where the crucifixion had occurred. And they're boldly proclaiming his resurrection at their own peril, right? The crowds were still present. And the council members that tried Jesus and the soldiers that crucified him were still there. So why would they suddenly have a change of hearts that they would preach the same Jesus that they had just denied? Right? Not only did they preach the resurrection, but they also condemned those responsible for his death and they called them to repent so they could be forgiven. In Acts 2, 22-24, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. To create a myth, to create a legend, right? One would not go where the eyewitnesses were and make these statements. They could not even exaggerate this if the fa- because the facts were still fresh. Myths and legends are born by carrying a story to a distant land, far away, waiting until the time has passed and the facts have been long forgotten and faded, and then telling the story. But the disciples went to where where the iron was still hot. They proclaimed the resurrection before those whom they knew would have to examine the very facts. They were all, uh, many eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Look at Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 15. Go back there. In 6 and 8. Where it says, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. That's key. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul presents this, his claim before the people that could question him. And he says that, in fact, he's inviting them to question this. He's saying most of these witnesses are still alive and they're available to examine. Go talk to them. Over 500. Over 500. 
People may be willing to die for what they believe to be true, but who would die for what they knew to be a lie? You know? In church history, if you were to look it up, John was the only one that died of old age. He was, although he was beaten and imprisoned and then banished to the Isle of Patmos, right? This was an island where criminals were sent to die from starvation or from the hands of the other criminals. But according to history, each of the other disciples were beaten repeatedly and killed. So listen to this and see if this sounds like a group of men that were clinging to a lie or to a, a legend, right? Matthew was slain in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets until he was dead. Peter and uh, Simon were crucified. Andrew crucified. James was beheaded. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Thomas was pierced with lances. James, he was thrown from the temple and stoned to death. Jude shot to death with arrows. And Paul was boiled in hot oil and then beheaded. All of these men could have lived if they had said one statement. He is dead. But they didn't. <laughs> they refused. Above the accounts of their deaths, this does not account then for the, tor the tortures that they even had to go through, right? All they had to do was deny that Jesus was alive, and they didn't. The evidence of the resurrection of Jesus confirms that Jesus is who he said he was. He claimed to be God, and he proved it. He overcame death and sin, and he destroyed the devil, all right? You won't hear many say that. There's no weird paradox going on. He destroyed the devil, all right? The devil's not your problem. Sin is, okay? What does this mean to us then, all right? That because of his sin, man was separated from God, he was dead in trespasses and sins. The focus then of God's plan of redemption is to restore through Jesus what man lost in Adam. That identification, right? It got marred. It got tainted. It was identification of sin. So the life that Jesus offers is a spiritual life, identification in him because you're placed in him, which is life in the presence of God and it's eternal life. We know that Adam did not die physically that day that he disobeyed in the garden, but he died spiritually. And spiritual death is the separation of you and God. This is what we're born with, right? Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, that big, a big but, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a big but there, though. But God, so important. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this new covenant that Jesus instituted, There is no spiritual death for us here. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, Paul writes, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, right? The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. He is resurrected. He is alive. And so we can be too. So speaking of the glories of the new covenant. Now, I don't mean to confuse anybody here, but I'm going to this verse comes from the tail end of the book of Revelation. I'll just say the Bible is not a book about the creation and the destruction of the world. It's about God's redemptive plan to get back into relationship with humanity. John writes of the glories of the new covenant in Revelation 21, 14 or four, when he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is not Something future awaiting you. He can wipe away every tear now. Death for you. Spiritual death will be no more. No more mourning. No more sacrifices of animals and blood. And going to a high priest and seeking for forgiveness. And making sure you're okay. It's a done deal when you come to Jesus. The former things of the old covenant. The former things of the temple system and the sacrifices have passed away. So where there is no spiritual death, those who have trusted in Christ have eternal life and have been resurrected to new life now. And as believers, we live in the presence of God. And in physical death, we simply drop the flesh and dwell only in the spiritual realm, right? So Jesus said, I guarantee eternal life to everyone who believes in me. And this is coming from a man who rose from the dead, the son of God, the son of man, right? Jesus not only conquered death himself, but he conquered death for everyone who comes to him in faith. And that's how I'll end by just saying, if you have never put your trust in Jesus, I'll ask you now to believe and be reconciled and be new. If you all stand, we'll pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for that plan to, to come and restore and redeem humanity. 
That once someone believes and has faith, your grace restores them, makes them new. They become a new creation. Placed in you, Christ, where righteousness, peace, dwell in your presence. And you're as much here as we are in the heavenly places. And we give you thanks. And I believe if, if no one has been confronted with that truth, that it will just be planted in them now. And the Holy Spirit, you'll just speak to them and you'll enlighten their hearts, open their eyes, and let them see the truth to come now and be thirsty no more. Drink and thirst no more. Receive new life. Receive reconciliation. And we thank you that you have conquered the grave. You conquered death. You destroyed sin and the devil and overcoming it through your resurrection. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.